I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. And Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. Hello to you as well. We are also classing this place up. That's right. We have the host of classics, Mr. Brandon Davis with us tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. You know, I was thinking I was on episode one of Beyond the Mouse, so it's fitting that I'm on episode 101. Uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> cool. and yeah. It was such a different, you know, we had no idea what, what the heck we were going to do with this show. And we talked about Jungle Book and we talked about how we enjoyed the classic Jungle Book. And then we also discussed a bit about the live action remake uh, as well. But yeah, you know, that's a thanks for reminding me of that because I had completely forgotten all about that episode. It's funny because it still gets a lot of downloads because I think people go back and they're probably like, where, where's Brett? Where's Vanessa? Where's everybody? <laughs> it was, it was you and it was you and Scott and I recording on a phone in his basement. So you've come a long way. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It's so funny to think back. And then like the saving Mr. Banks episode, I still really, uh, I love that movie so much, but I would almost kind of want to go back and revisit only because Anna and I recorded that in a car while driving to Washington, D.C. And um, it's just something where I like cringe to go back and listen to that because it is <laughs> so horrific, horrific audio quality uh, for sure. But today we are talking about uh, 101 Dalmatians. We had to do this because not only is it celebrating its 60th year, it actually came out in January of 1961. Um, but we also have our 101st episode. As you all heard last week, we had a wonderful time at our 100th episode with Kevin Lima and Bill Farmer and also Jason Marsden. So thank you to all of them one more time for sitting down with us. That was such a fun experience. And now we get to sit down with Brandon and talk 101 Dalmatians. So I think we probably just want to get right into it. We start all of these with our first impressions, our, our first look backs, maybe the first time we saw the film and, and kind of the impact that the film has had on us. Brandon, you're our guest. We have to start with you. What was your first impression of 101 Dalmatians? Man, this probably goes back to when I was four, five, something like that. I remember having the old Disney Classics VHS up on the shelf and uh, pulling it out quite a bit. I, this is a movie that I love, and I hadn't watched it in a while. And it's so different from the Disney canon from that time. It's it's so modern, and it's so um, that I don't know. There's something so you know very early '60s about it, yet timeless. I just I love it because there's so much there's so much suspense to it. You know, when you're a kid, you identify, of course, with the puppies because you're you're sort of around that age too, and uh, you deal with what they're going through. But when you watch it again, you I love all of the side characters in this movie. There's so many great. Um, so many great, you know, voice actors, which we'll get into and all of that, but it's such a suspenseful movie. Now that I go back and watch it, there's so many, you know, edgy your seat moments that you don't expect in a Disney movie from that time, but it's, it's great. It's really, it's very unique in the Disney canon. And I think that's why I like it so much. You know, that's absolutely right. And it's funny because this is one of those films that I don't remember it not existing, right? Because uh, from when memory started, I remembered things like Lady and the Tramp, 101 Dalmatians, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Cinderella. Those are the ones that in my mind, time didn't exist without them. Right. And I uh, really enjoyed particularly Cruella DeVille and Cruella DeVille's song is something that just always constantly in my head um, and going back and now experiencing this with a young child he also really enjoys this movie uh, Cruella is just scary and intimidating enough for a five-year-old and uh, he loves the music as well it's just it's just a really great film it's a fun premise she's a, a an easily um, 
despicable character because she's trying to turn these puppies into coats. Uh, So (laughs) she has maybe a bit of redemption in that some of the things she does, uh, you're like, oh, I I can kind of see what you're going with there, Corella. However, then you remember she's trying to turn puppies into coats. So she's obviously one of the most villainous villains in the Disney library. Brett, tell me your first impressions of 101 Dalmatians. Uh, scared of Cruella DeVille. I'm like going, you know, I mean, she's, I mean, she's a glorious character to watch now, but as a child, I'm just like going. And when she was driving her crazy driving, I, she was, it was more than I could take. So, anyway, so I didn't watch it. Yeah. So I couldn't, oh, yeah, oh my gosh. So, yeah. So that was really, you know, the, the first part there you know is yeah Corella it's all about it is Corella's movie so anyway yeah so that's what I remember I was scared to death of Corella DeVille mm-hmm. what about you Vanessa were you scared to death of Corella DeVille I wasn't actually um I was trying to think about what happens in this movie because I did rewatch it and I wasn't really sure of what happens in the plot. I remembered there were parts that I really, really liked, especially the beginning. Uh, and I remember really liking Corella's song. And for some reason, I think that kept me from being totally terrified of her. But what I do remember is the middle to the end being very, very sad and very, very suspenseful and making me anxious. So it's not a movie that I watched a lot growing up. And then on rewatch, I felt exactly the same. So <laughs> I was like, this film is making me so anxious that I don't know if I can watch it again, even though there are parts that I was literally laughing out loud listening to and and, and watching um, on my most recent rewatch. So I think I could watch it again, but maybe just the first half. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because this is one of those characters in Cruella and also one of these films that really have spawned so many uh, spinoffs, remakes, and it's been parodied everywhere uh, in all pop culture. It's kind of permeated all of pop culture. And we just learned uh, this was breaking news as of the time of this recording. It'll be a little older than that by the time you're listening to it. But we uh, just heard that Cruella is coming to premium access for Disney Plus. So you better believe that your BTM crew will be covering that at some point in May for you. I think it was May 28th, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Mm. So it'll be right around that Memorial Day holiday. It's a really good time to strap back and watch a movie. Um, but of course, we also, I mean, you know, we we can't not, we have to mention the fact that Kevin Lima directed Glenn Close in 102 Dalmatians. Uh, no, and of course, the live action. That is not 101. We talked about this, Craig. <laughs> That is not until next week's episode that we can even mention it. So don't even go there. <laughs> I think we already recorded next week's episode. I don't know if we could uh, if we could go back and edit uh, something in now. I guess maybe you should like we should edit in a little thing from you at the beginning that says like, oh yeah, sure, we can let's do that. This. Yeah, Brett's, <laughs> that's like let's do that. Let's more. Let's I love that. I love that idea. But it's, and we can talk a bit about the remakes and the spinoffs as we go along here, but I do want to jump in and talk a bit about the voice acting, because I think that that's also what elevates this story and gives life to these characters that have continued to live on for an awful long time. And I think we have to, uh, this being the case, we, we've been talking about her all day. We have to talk about Cruella DeVille when it comes to the voice acting. And Betty Lou Gerson, who played Cruella DeVille in this film, Brandon, your thoughts on her as kind of a character, how she was voice acted. What, what is your take on Cruella DeVille? She, I'm, we've talked about how terrifying she is, but she's a, she's a fun villain to me too, because she is so flamboyant and over the top. And I had forgotten rewatching the animated because I'm so used to the Glenn Close. Now she's not at all into fashion in the animated movie. You know, we think of her now as kind of this fashion designer. And of course that's where uh, the Emma Stone Cruella is going to go as well. But I just, I love it. Cause she is such a, um, 
she's such a representation of like all of those great actresses from like the thirties and forties. She's like a Betty Davis and a Joan Crawford on steroids. And that's basically what she is. <laughs> and um, I, I think that, I think that Betty Lou Gerson creates such an incredible characterization because there's so many great Disney villains, but she's very unique. Cause she, like I, I mentioned before, the movie's so modern, modern, she's a modern villain. Um, and you know, you know, she's a villain who smokes. She's a villain who drives recklessly. Um, and she's just fun to watch. Terrifying. Yes. And evil. Yes. But uh, you, the older you get, the more you appreciate just, you know, what a unique creation she is. And yeah, definitely fun to watch. Now I wanted to put you on the spot, Mr. Classics, because in doing a little bit of a deep dive on this film, some of the trivia had said that this character was kind of supposed to be a manic takeoff of the flamboyant actress Tallulah Bankhead. Tallulah. And who was that? Tallulah Bankhead was a um, Broadway actress, mainly known for the theater. She did a few movies, um, most famously Lifeboat, directed by Hitchcock. But um, she did she did a lot of um, – it's funny. She was all the plays that she did on Broadway. Betty Davis ended up doing the movie versions of in Hollywood. And so, yeah, very, very flamboyant, you know, actress over the top. Um, and yeah, yeah. The, the very, very similar to Tallulah. I, I said Betty Davis and Joan Crawford because that's probably more recognizable now. But but yeah, she's definitely styled after Tallulah. All right. So this is why we pay him the big bucks, folks, because uh, I just threw a name out there what? into the ether and he picked it up and ran with it and told you some of the credits of that actress. This guy is the real deal when it comes to he classic is. film. Vanessa, but you didn't know, but you didn't know Tallulah Bankhead. Darling, me? how no. dare you? You need no, to know okay, these Brett, things. Expand Brett, give, us your, your horizons. give us your Tallulah. No, I can't do it. There's a there, have Anna have Anna show you. There's a great I Love Lucy episode where Tallulah Bankhead guest stars. Yeah, she's on it, darling. I don't know. So, <laughs> okay. That. Well, sorry, Brett. James Mason and Tallulah Bankhead starring in. No, <laughs> that's the three. Well, Brett, yeah, go ahead and answer. you tell us about what your thoughts are on Betty Lou Gerson. Well, she, actually, I did a little bit of a deep dive too, a little bit of research, and not—I'm really not getting into your territory, Brandon. But I was just That's doing okay. a little bit of a little bit of research that um, I guess that there was some comments that Corella Deville—it was very Tulula Bankhead-ish, and then so Betty Lou Gerson said, "Well, I'm from Alabama, and she's from Alabama, so we just throw on a fake British accent because that's what we do." And and there you have Corella Deville. Ah, anyway. So I thought that was interesting. So, but her voice, oh, it's so cool. And it was so good to see like her interviews. Cause now since we're, you know, we're getting into the new Cruella and, you know, there's been um, uh, re reports on Entertainment Tonight and all that on, you know, all three of these Cruellas and how cool they're. It was so funny because Betty Lou thought that, you know, there was nothing frightening about her, <laughs> that she was, why are children, you know, so concerned and scared, you know, and I'm, and it was just, a, it was a great character. Can you imagine playing that character, you know, seeing that uh, would be, it is not, it's not something I want to play, but I can imagine it would be very fun. So, so anyway, she was awesome. Oh, and be. the other, and the other behind the scenes, this was amazing. She was also the voice of the lovely narrator in Cinderella. You know, at the beginning of the story. Can you imagine? She's also credited the range. as a, and non his non-credited role as old crone in, in Mary Poppins. So now I have to watch that and see which one is oh. Betty Lou. That's and, that's amazing trivia. Thank you for that. And you know, I almost think it's maybe it's you, similar <laughs> to um is this similar to like a Margaret Hamilton situation where you know she kind of saw the wicked witch maybe as uh, more of a character piece and less of an iconic villain over time. Is that right? Uh, is that kind of how she saw the the Wicked Witch evolve, Brandon? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, possibly. I mean, it sort of, both characters kind of took on a life of their own and they, I guess, af after that, you know, we, we've seen so many Wicked Witches take from Margaret Hamilton's performance, and you've seen a lot of female villains over the years take from Betty Lou Gerson's performance. So yeah, I, I guess they're comparable. 
Yeah. Vanessa, go ahead and give us your thoughts on Cruella as a voice acting a gig or as a character as a whole. Well, um, I'm definitely not going to be stepping on the toes of Brandon or Brett tonight because I didn't even realize she was British until I recently watched. I was like, wait, is everybody in this film British? I don't remember that. I, I just that I missed that. I was too focused on the spots, but I, I think Cruella's actually really kind of wonderful. Um, I, I, it's just like, oh, if she just didn't want to kill puppies, you know, she would just be so great. I mean, like when she's, I know this is so mean, but when she's laughing at the, the thought that Roger could write a song and be successful, she's like, Anita, Dolly, oh, Roger. Oh, and I'm just, I'm laughing. I'm like, I'm probably one of those, uh, you know, ding dongs that are like, what, what are we laughing at? What are we laughing at? Just laughing along, but I can't help it. Her, her laughter is so infectious to me in that scene. And I find her hilarious when she comes in. She's a little scary, but for the most part, I really like her as a villain. And, and, and there's a lot of other villains I don't like. So like Hunchback Notre Dame, too real. But I think because Corella is just kind of over the top, it makes her likable. Most likable villain for me. Okay. Well, let's go uh, then into our human uh, characters as well. And let's talk about Lisa Davis as Anita. And then we can also talk about uh, Ben Wright as Roger as well. Uh, We can take them in any combination that you'd like. Vanessa, you had to go last for Cruella. So I'm going to go to you first for these two. Great. This is a good speed because we'll start with the bar being low and then we can end with Brandon bringing in the real guns here. So I liked those characters. Don't know what else to say about it. I thought they, (laughs) I thought the voice acting was really good. Um, Didn't know they were British until recently. So, you know, this is what I'm bringing to the table tonight. Um, I liked it. I love that. And then by the end, we're going to have all of their Broadway credits uh, from yep. Brandon coming up yep. here in just a moment. But It's a slow uh, build. But no, I I really enjoy their character characterization as well, especially Anita, because um, she's such a kind of a strong female character in this. And I enjoy that. You, I appreciate. You, you know what? I will say one thing about Anita. Did she, could she just not tell Cruella that the puppies are going to get their spots in a few weeks? Her, her and the 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 maid or or the housekeeper if they could just kind of keep that on the dl this wouldn't we wouldn't even have these problems with these poor puppies being out in the snow that that i was mad about and i did go and watch the um the live action version now that that one is even worse anita basically hands the puppies over to cruella on a platter like hey you should totally skin them and make this dress i've designed for you oh no i didn't mean my puppies (laughs) So not to confuse these two movies, but Anita is really not helping. I think we have. I'm, I'm totally confused. Which, I'm just you know, saying, go and much. watch the live action one too. And <laughs> Anita's not the best help in either film. <laughs> Brett, uh, go ahead and talk about these two. Who are we talking about? <laughs> We're sorry. talking about Roger and Anita. Oh, ben Roger. Well, Roger. Davis. Oh, Roger. Roger. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm... They are great characters, and I love their performances. I don't know. They're just, you know, they, they get the job done, as you can kind of tell from Come my- on, Ben Wright in that voice. Cruella de Vil. Cruella yeah, okay. de Vil. We don't well, even so need you him You should here. have done it. We've got I know, you should have done that. So <laughs> I mean, it's just, he has yeah. like the great, he has the great baritone voice he for doesn't that. Have, I really enjoy he that. He's not, he, he doesn't, he's not English, is he? He doesn't sound English at all, does he? That's what I thought. I didn't think anybody no. sounded English when he's I was growing He's an American. Up. He's American like Jeff Daniels was in the, oh, see, in 101 Dalmatians. Now I'm saying it, the live action. Oh, gosh. <laughs> see? see, look what we're doing. Yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. It was more, it was not really, I, they did a lovely job, but it was not about them. Sorry. He's like a spider <laughs> so. waiting for the kill. Brandon Davis. 
<laughs> no, what what I enjoy, I enjoy those two characters in the first ten minutes because the movie the movie plays out like a romantic comedy in like the first ten minutes, and mm-hmm. you didn't see that from animated Disney films at that time. And so it's fun to see those two. The only credit I can give you is Ben Wright, who is the voice of Roger. A few years later, was Herr Zeller in The Sound of Music, the head Nazi. So. <laughs> Oh wow! All downhill for him. Now, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is yeah. a rant. Yeah. yeah, go back and watch the sound of music, and you'll hear Roger at the end. <laughs> oh we have the, no! We have, I feel we have bad the, now. We have the the narrator of Cinderella playing Cruella de Vil, <laughs> and we now have Roger playing a Nazi. So I this know. is this is, uh, this is wow. not good. This oh is gosh. not good. Quite the range know, on all these but, actors. But but no, I think I think he delivers that, you know, Cruella DeVille, that song is stuck in my head for years and it's mainly because of the way his voice and the way he presents it. So mm-hmm. yeah, very, very good. I do also want to at least comment on the characterization of uh, Jasper and Horace as well, our two nincompoop uh, people that are going after these puppies. And we'll start there with Brett. Any thoughts on those two? <laughs> They were fun. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed those characters. You know, I mean, they, they're kind of classic, I don't know, Keystone copy sort of, you know, all that sort of shtick and all that, you know, and they're, they're pretty harmless until they are going to pound the puppies, which is not a fun thing, but important for the story. I get that. But yeah, so (laughs) they were fun. Yeah. Am I speaking too generally? I'm just like going, I don't, you know, it's, um, not a whole lot of depth in some of these characters. And you know, okay. and that's least, fine. Because or maybe it's me. Film. I don't have a whole lot of depth. I'm well, sorry. no, it's it's not that. It's it, this these, this film is only just a little over an hour long uh, because it's one of those classic animated Disney films that um, that was about the runtime of them. And sometimes it's difficult to dive into individual actors. Um, and it's more about the production of as, as a whole, which is what we're going to get yes. into. And that's why I just okay. wanted to briefly comment on these two. Uh, and then maybe also briefly comment on our dogs as well. Um, oh, now Vanessa, there, now that, yes, yeah. I'm ready for the dogs. I'm like, wait, just if I'm going to go back for a, se- a second, Jasper and, and what was the, who the Horace. other, sorry. Boris, Horus, sorry, Jasper. You know, I mean, they don't give you onion performances. There's not a whole lot to peel back. You know what I'm saying? So it's just a thought. Go ahead with whoever's next. Do you want to tell her that she's next, Brett? Oh, Vanessa, please go ahead. Thank you. I'm about to add so much more to this conversation. You found the onion? I, I, yes, because uh, Rolly steals the onion from the sandwich along with the salami. That's where the onion is. And And I particularly like that scene because... Like you said, Brett, to me, they're kind of funny. I know they're bad guys, but they're big doofuses and they're fun. And that the whole scene where they, he's drinking the wine and he's and they're having the sandwich. I just found that very that he picks up the cat, kisses the cat. I find that whole scene very, very fun. And it's just shortly after that scene that the movie starts to take a stressful turn for me. So I like the characters and... I'm so excited to hear what Brandon has to say. That's <laughs> truly uh, a film analysis. <laughs> no, I guess it's my turn then. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, at this point, they're just passing it, the baton around. They don't need me around this, here, this Brandon. Is okay. Why we no, Brandon. no. No, no. I, I mean, Horace and Jasper, they're classic secondary villains. They're like Pain and Panic and Hercules. They're like um, Ka and the Jungle Book or LeFou and Beauty and the Beast. They're there to, you know, do do some funny sight gags and stuff. But I, I think they're I think they're enjoyable. They have some great, you know, the, the the animators of those two characters definitely were having fun, giving them great physical comedy. I love that they're uh, and this movie, the vehicles kind of match the personalities of who's driving them, and their little jalopy is so rickety, just like they are. And so that that's what's always fun to me when I watch those two. Let's talk a little bit about our dogs. So we've got Rod Taylor oh, as Pongo. Can I, can I go first? Yeah, we have Kate Great. Bauer as Perdita. We've got Lucky somewhere in there as well. Uh, who who do you want to talk about, Vanessa? All of them. First of all, dog number one, I thought did really great. Dog number two, 
It was a mediocre performance. Dog number three. Okay, I'm just this kidding. I'm not going to go there. This is going to be a thing. <laughs> no, that was pretty I good. Just, they, I'm, I'm joking. But the we dogs. We need to record every episode at 930 at night. That's what we're <laughs> oh, yes. here. Because they don't finish till 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I'm right. really good at 2 o'clock in the yeah, morning. This is, this is when I usually record, so I'm ready to go. But that's just. <laughs> Great. Well, then we'll, dog number four. Um, <laughs> Brett, you said that you were ready to send in the dogs. So go ahead and uh, are, Vanessa, are you okay? I, I we're gonna. We, I don't okay. think we're we'll gonna get to 103 episodes because this might be it. We but anyway, uh, 103. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, sorry, listeners, forgive us because you know some of us are a little punchy because of anyway. So um, I, I want to hear, I can't wait to, I'm just going to say Rod Taylor's Pongo is very good. And then we can have Brandon tell us all about Rod Taylor. Okay. The, the cool thing is this, you know, I mean, it, 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 how he calls Roger his pet and all that. I just like that juxtaposition is just so cute. That is so fun. And yeah, so let's just get through these characters so we can get to the other stuff. I mean, um, I'm enjoying this so much. Brandon, bring us home. No, and uh, to, to go off of Brett, I do. That's one of the best conceits of the movie that the animals call the humans their pets. So the humans are all secondary and follow the will of the animals in this movie, which is a lot of fun. But, but yeah, Rod Taylor. I, I don't have to give the credits of everybody, but Rod Taylor, best known for being in The Birds by Hitchcock, and an Australian actor. Um, he's in The Glass Bottom Boat with Doris Day. There, you know, a lot of fun stuff. But he he does a great job, and 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 so so does. Um, who, who was the voice of Purdy? Um, <laughs> Kate, uh, Kate Bauer? Kate, yeah, Kate Bauer. She does oh, a great Kate, job very, I love everything she does. Oh, I my can't, gosh. I can't give you any trivia on her, but I, she does a very warm maternal performance in here. I love the supporting dogs in this movie. There's a lot of fun Oh, hello, there. yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, dogs 97 through 98 uh, and 99. That's, that's really great. Uh, Vanessa, you had your hand raised. This is an audio podcast. Yes. Well, I just wanted you to know that I actually, I did want to take a real turn of a talk about the dogs. Um, so <laughs> as someone who believes that my dog really does talk to me, but like through expressions, I, I just, I love the dogs in this movie. The puppies steal the show for me. They're so, so cute. Rolly, if I were a dog, I'd be Rolly. Because every time he says, I'm hungry, mom. I really am. I'm hungry. <laughs> I, I've been saying that to my mom for years. And I'm like, I'm like that dog from the Dalmatian. We've been dressed up as Dalmatians for the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween party. And when we got dressed up, I said, you can be Patch. I am Rolly. I'm always hungry. And she, she agreed. So I love these. And like Brandon said, the supporting dogs, the Colonel, he kills me when he's like, oh, uh, that's, that's two yips and a woof. And like, oh, I laughed so hard when he said that. I just, I was dying through all those scenes with the dogs. That that's my favorite part of this whole movie, and you know the the the, the dog um, gossip train that they have, but it's really used for this emergency alert. So awesome to see all these little dogs, or not little dog, but all these kinds of dogs in the film. I loved it. Animal lovers, I think they love the first half of this movie. The second half gets a little sad. Did you know that the Colonel and Jasper were the same voice actor? No. They Did were. Not know that. That's the kind of information you can only find either on imdb.com or right here on Beyond the Mouse. So we're going to transition into talking about our production um, and overall kind of the animation style that we have here. Uh, and I, I want to start with our creative guy, and that's Brett. So talk to me about the overall production design. Maybe you can start to get into favorite scenes, whatever you would like to talk about in this section. Well, this was kind of a different look for animation and certainly a different look for animation for Walt Disney Studios. Um, And it was basically, it was because of, for financial reasons, creating glorious hand-painted cells where it's, you know, 32 frames a second or 32 cells a second is very costly. And because Sleeping Beauty was not a blockbuster, you know, that we know it is now. It was not a blockbuster for the Disney studios. It, you know, it almost 
put an end to their animation. So, so Ub Iwerks, who on the day of our recording is celebrating 120th birthday. So happy birthday, Ub. And you, anyway, and your progeny. So I'm like going, so cool. And, uh, but anyway, um, xerography was a new technique um, that it worked in the advancement of animated films, especially this one, but it also gave it a very particular look where all of the outlines of all of the characters are, are black and then the others are colors. Well, you know, when you're doing Dalmatians, which are black and white, hey, um, in fact, I understand that, that in some scenes there are more than a hundred because, well, you know, xerography, you know, Xerox making a copy. But anyway, but it was, it was, it gave it a really interesting look that actually, you know, was found in other animated films following this. But I think especially for this, the look is just so gorgeous. And didn't Dominic have something to say about that? It was highly influential. We have a friend to the podcast, Dominic Cellini, who is an artist, a caricaturist and really, really amazing artist. And, uh, and it was a, it, and he was heavily influenced by this. So uh, I mean, it's just a gorgeous look. There, that's what I say as a uh, digital media artist. I thought it was gorgeous. I loved it. it was so cool. Yeah. In listening to you, I was thinking about whether or not I should bring up Dominic's um, comments now because we did ask. Uh, we have a new Facebook group, and that's Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals. And I asked about uh, stories about this particular film and Dominic mentioned that this is very influential to him. You all have seen Dominic's work, even if you didn't know it, because he is the one that did all of the caricatures for the Beyond the Mouse logo and also for all of the other front row logos. He's wonderful, great person to follow along on Instagram. He kind of do, does these um, comic strips on there that are just very funny and very good. He's also a published author and this was a big um, influence on him. So it's really cool that, like you said, there's such a, a neat and focused different type of art style in 101 Dalmatians. Now, I got to tell you, Brandon, Brett brought xerography to this podcast. What are you going to bring to this discussion? <laughs> now I think we have left the world of classic film and we've entered the world of classic animation and I just got to know, are you up to the task? Are you up to this competing with? So mean. It is no. not a competition. This is he art, is our darling. No, How dare you? <laughs> no, Brandon, what, uh, what are your thoughts on the overall production? And then again, we can start to get into favorite scenes and things like that, too. No, it, it will not it, disappoint. It's it's really unique. It, it's interesting to read about, and I watched one of the uh, documentary um, about the making of that was produced for like the DVD years ago. It's on YouTube if people want to watch it. But Walt Disney was not happy with this movie when it came out and really blamed Ken Anderson, the head animator, for choosing to go with the Xerox process and uh, felt that it made things look cheap. He was a fan of the romantic style of animation, like in Cinderella and Peter Pan. And to him, this looked messy. And uh, later, just before he died, apparently he made things right with Ken and apologized and everything. But, you know, this is at the point in the Disney studios where people were telling Walt, you know, you're doing live action stuff now, you're doing TV, you're into parks and everything, you're legitimate. You don't have to do animation anymore. And, uh, but, you know, his heart was still in it. But I, I love the style of this movie and apparently i'm sure it was heartbreaking for the people in the ink and paint department who were all out of a job because of this new process but apparently the nine old men were incredibly happy because they always felt like when they turned their sketches over to the ink and paint department their renderings of these characters were never quite the way they imagined them and because of the xerox process the exact way that they drew these characters ended up on the screen for the first time so there, it, Craig. See, he did it. So, it. <laughs> yay! I knew it. I knew it. He brought it. <sighs> Vanessa, I'm a big fan, Brandon. I am. Overall production design of this movie. Well, if I may add something of interest, if you go listen to uh, animators who have um, recorded their thoughts on other podcasts, um, I'm not sure if. Floyd or Rolly has talked about doing Dalmatians um, on ours. Those would be the animators that I would episodes I would think they might be on. But, you know, they, they do talk about how difficult, like remembering which dog had what spots and, and that process. And when you look at the film, it does seem very overwhelming to see all 
those spots. I read something like each dog has like something like 32 spots. And, you know, it's, it's, even though this process, I guess, was not to Walt's liking, I think it's still very impressive, at least for, you know, a layman's eye. But as far as the animation goes for the rest of the film, I really enjoy it. I especially love the pairing of the dog and the human character in the, especially in the beginning <laughs> yeah. because you know we hear the saying like humans look like their dogs and sometimes when my hair is crazy and my dog's hair is crazy I look at us and I'm like we are one but I love how Hongo is looking at these different women and their dogs seeing what might be a good fit and, and I don't know why I always just really really loved that scene and the design and how they the dogs were so perfectly matched to the humans. So that's one of my favorite animation bits of this film. And you know, I actually have a bit of a surprise for uh, the panel here tonight, because uh, recently we, of course, Floyd Norman is a friend of the podcast, and he actually did draw a uh, image for Anna uh, of Anita and Perdita. So I uh, reached out, I told him that we were talking about this, and he said that he does have some stories about this that he would be willing to share. And so uh, we are going to edit that uh, in right now. It's actually going to be me just or, uh, editing in his email uh, back about some of the stories of 101 Dalmatians. If he doesn't send me that email back, then we can just edit all of this out. But if not, you'll be hearing from future Craig in just a moment with a story from Floyd Norman sent to him via email. Hi, everybody. This is future Craig. I promised that I would get back to you if Floyd Norman emailed me back, and he did. So I am also going to include this email as well on our Beyond the Mouse podcast pals group. Make sure that you do join that group if you haven't already, because we do share some special stuff like this in here. And it's just so excellent that Floyd was willing to type up an email and talk a bit about his experience with 101 Dalmatians. So here it is. Hello, Craig. You requested an antidote from the creation of the Walt Disney film, The 101 Dalmatians. Well, from the start, I was excited about Walt deciding at the last minute to make this film. This was not in his initial plan. You see, Disney legend Bill Peet was well underway on his next animated feature film, The Sword in the Stone, based on the novel by T.H. White. Anyway, Walt told Pete to put his work aside and get going on a new film based on a cute story by Dottie Smith. Bill immediately went to work on the story with Ken Anderson and also started to design what would become 101 Dalmatians. It's little wonder Bill Pete is known as the Disney story master. Bill Pete had to turn on a dime and begin adapting this novel for film. Bill adapted the novel over the next six months or so. After completing the screenplay, he storyboarded the entire motion picture by himself. Pete managed to do this in less than a year. After slogging through Sleeping Beauty for the past five years or so, this new Disney motion picture was moving at warp speed. People often ask the question, wasn't it difficult to do the spots on the Dalmatians? Our answer is surprising. No, not at all. Actually, it was our assistant animator, future Disney legend, Rolly Crump, that came up with the solution. Rolly realized that if you group the spots in a visual structure, it would be easier to keep track of things. We all adopted this method and it worked like a charm. It enabled us to control the spots and track their movements all around the doggies' bodies. It turned out to not be a difficult task at all. Of course, we learn things on every production. This was one of the lessons we learned from the 101 Dalmatians. This would later pay off when we were thinking of our next movie, Mary Poppins, which would feature a musical group of pearlies, men and women covered with pearls on their clothing. Rolly Crump's tracking solution was applied to this challenge. So things you learn from an old show come in handy much further down the road. Just a few of my thoughts in the making of 101 Dalmatians. All best, Floyd. And again, Thank you so much to Floyd Norman for adding that little bit to our episode here. Now back to past Craig. I thought it was appropriate to uh, talk about Floyd's uh, contribution right there because, of course, he was an animator on this film and it was just wonderful. Uh, it's wonderful to have uh, that kind of 
relationship where you can just email this man and get some amazing stories from him. So I thought that we would share that with the audience as well. Uh, but going on to sort of our favorite scenes for the, the show, I want to go to Brandon first because he is our guest. Is there a particular moment of this film that sticks out to you? I love the twilight bark. I love that whole section um, of, of, you know, Pongo and Perdita getting their message across and the whole, you know, going from dog to dog and the little cameos by all the lady and the tramp characters. Um, I, I love that whole bit. And Vanessa was talking about that, all the owners who matched their, their dogs. It must've been fun for these Disney animators to draw modern settings because they've been so used to all of these medieval or fantastical settings. And now they can draw cars and TV and I you know I I love that I love the whole parody of what's my line which was a popular game show and they make it what's my crime in this movie it's it's just it's it's a lot of fun and I'm sure they had a lot of fun with it but yeah the twilight bark that's my favorite section my favorite is still I mean it's it's really just the introduction the first time we get to see Cruella de Vil and that music is playing it turns out to be like a, a chart topping hit which by the way how would you all feel about that uh if that were you and it was written about you <laughs> and then it's playing on uh on the radio now or on a streaming service uh nearby this <laughs> Craig, this is not based in reality because they do take on 101 dogs. And that's not realistic. That would be a hoarding situation. They would have the Humane Society called. So I think we have to, you know, just live with the idea that things may not be realistic in this film. Absolutely. She's, but she's in the slammer by the time it becomes a hit. So. <laughs> that's right. You're right. You're right. But that's, you know, that, that to me, um, the introduction of Cruella DeVille and by far my favorite scene um, because of the song, because of her presence immediately, you immediately know who that character is. Um, again, maybe not so much of an onion to peel back, but we will get the inside of that onion. We will, we will smell that onion when Emma Stone brings Cruella to Disney Plus uh, later on in May. But Brett, uh, what about you? What's your favorite scene in this film? Well, you mean other than the one that you took? <clears throat> Cruella's entrance and the sweep around the room with the cigarette holder. I usually have to go and, last. Where are they? Where are reeking, they? Where, where are, are they? they? Re- reeking havoc everywhere. I'm like, going, that was just so much fun. I also really like Pongo's um, opening narration and how how he arranges the meeting between Roger and Anita and Perdita. I think that was just so much fun. And and it's just a great way to start the film and it kind of gets it going. And then we get into all the fun and the puppies and it really moves so fast that actually, you know, I'd forgotten that the majority of this film is about getting the puppies, but yeah, that first scene is just so cool where, you know, you hear a narrator and you see this guy and you kind of think, well, that's the guy. And then you realize it's the dog. So that was great. I enjoyed that. And I also love, okay. Oh, sorry. You know, I have 12. I always have 12 answers. Should we let them also go love... make sure that you don't steal it from her? It, it would be nice to go have, ahead. A, have a chance at one favorite scene. Uh, <laughs> I I really love the canine crunchies scene, okay? I love that scene. That, that jingle is so catchy. I've been singing all day. Canine crunchies can't be beat. They make each meal a special treat. Happy dogs who love to eat nutritious canine crunchies. All day. Imagine that all day. That's what I live with. So I love that scene. I love the little puppy with their tails going every time that the, the Great Dane is about to, is it Great Dane? No. What is it? What, whatever that dog is. Is it a German Shepherd? See, they're, they're animated, so I can't be sure. But every time he's about to do something, the, their little tails start wagging really fast. And I'm like, oh, look at those happy tails. Look at those happy tails. I'm such a dog person that I... I just love that scene so much because they're so happy. Um, And then, you know, the rest of the movie goes downhill. But I will tell you, during the Twilight Park, my dog loved that scene. He sat next to me and he was, you know, tilting his head, watching the, the, the screen. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this dog, this dog loves this movie, too. This is so crazy. He probably understands what being said. He's probably looking at me like, Mom, there's puppies that were stolen. We didn't go save them. It's just a, it's just a movie kid. It's just a movie. And now Brett, we can return to you for your other 16 favorite scenes. Well, actually I liked the idea, you know, kind of the theme is that I love that 
the you like the idea of the film? Did you like you like the idea that animated film was put uh, put to print and we got to see it? Is that <laughs> no? If I could finish, I would let you know what I like. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> So, no, I love that dogs and a goose and a cat and a horse and some cows can work together and beat Scotland Yard, you know, at their own business. I'm like, going. it takes an animal to get things done. And I love that, that they all work together, even some dogs that are maybe a little bit past their prime a bit, but they all get together. And the cows feed the, feed the puppies. It wasn't feed the birds. It was feed the puppies. But, um. Yeah, I just like, like the idea that they all can work together. Mm-hmm. It's like animals. We could all learn that as humans, right? Uh-huh. It's okay. it's like what? It's like it's like Animal Farm about the authoritarian, right? Yeah, uh, with a very much different ending. <laughs> I, love, I, I love the collie too that you know helps them into the bar. He's got such oh, a cal- yes. calming presence about him. Yes. Don't worry, Pongo. I'll keep watch. I'm like I love these dogs. I know the dogs are great. Oh, but, and the cows and the goose and yeah. the, all of them all. I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> now that we talked about what we did love. Now we have to come to what we maybe didn't love as much. So what didn't work for you in this film? And Brett's kind of shaking his head a little bit. So do I dare go to him first? Or maybe I go to Vanessa first because um, she hasn't gotten to go first often this, this go. So Vanessa, anything that didn't work for you in the film? I have several things. All right. The first thing that rips my heart out of my body and stomps on it is when the cat asks the dogs, if they're the stolen puppies and they say, Oh no, we're, we're, we're uh, bought and paid for. And I'm like, <laughs> they were bought and paid for by someone so cruel. They didn't get a forever home. And that killed me. And then the, the second thing that just kills me is when the puppy is behind in the snow and Pongo has to go get, I think it's lucky. And he's like, my nose is cold and my, my toes are froze and I'm hungry. And I'm like, I can't take it. My heart cannot take these scenes. I'm just, I die inside when I see them. And then when they have to turn around in the snow and walk back and you know, it's so cold and so windy. Oh, it just, and when they walk into the barn and they're so tired, look, I have a puppy and there's nothing better than seeing your puppy relax and sleeping, seeing a tired puppy. That's sad. This, this is not good for the soul. You guys, I, this, this movie took some years off my life for sure. And then the most awful scene, I'm sorry if I'm taking yours, but when they're in there, the soot and they're walking by Corella and the puppy says, she's staring at us, dad. I'm like this. I can't take this. I can't take this anymore. Get in the truck and go get in there. Oh, it's so suspenseful. I, this, I don't think I can watch this movie again. Are you guys not dog lovers? Like, did you hate this too? I hate, I mean, I wouldn't change anything about this movie, Absolutely. by the way. Everything you said, I ditto with that. Uh-huh, I do. Thank um, you. You know, and the other thing is, oh, I'm sorry, if I may go ahead. Sorry. You know, animal cruelty is a pretty tough thing to animate. And, you know, even though Corella never really gets close to getting, you know, her, her puppy fur coat, it does cause a lot of anxiety. And it's, and it's kind of like this, this, you know, bad undercurrent of you know, don't let this happen. So that's that's always there, which it'll be interesting. Oh, you know, talking about the film that's coming up, it'll be interesting to see how, especially today, how PETA, anyway, well, the, the reaction to that. They're, yeah, they're not, not always happy. a very nice organization, BT oh, Dubs. Okay. Now they're going to come after us. Before they do that, Brandon, what doesn't work for you in this film? Well, everything that Vanessa mentioned works for me, <laughs> so I can't really, no, no, it's, no, it works for me because it's heart tugging and it's such yeah. a, the, the state that makes the stakes high. That's um, true. But, but no, the, the only thing that I thought this time uh, watching it last time was that um, Cruella really, Cruella does get her come up and, but we don't really get to see it. I want to see her arrested. I want to see her take, all we just see is her, you know, beaten up on Jasper and Horace by the side of the road. And that's the last time we really get to see her. And uh, so yeah. I, I wish we got more of like a final, final climax for, you know, just the, the downfall of Cruella. Did you back to the, what Brett said about animal abuse being really hard to animate. I think that's a really good point <laughs> because uh, see, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because of this, but did you guys remember seeing that, that animated short kit bowl? I, th- I believe it was nominated for an Academy Award a few years ago. 
it's heartbreaking. It's just, I got I get physically nauseous when I see even in an animated form when these animals being treated cruelly. So, but it is a really really touching and beautiful short. But just kind of like this movie, I think Brandon's right that it does raises the stakes. But oh gosh, it's so hard for me to watch. It's really interesting because you have this kind of um, listeners will will maybe pick up on this, but you like Cruella as a character or you enjoy kind of the what she does as a character but also the animal cruelty is really hard so it's 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 just it shows you how well of a uh robust villain that they created and I'm not you know I'm not um doing this to to call you out at all Vanessa it's just she's so well written because you do get that. Like you really uh, enjoy the villainous nature of her, even though she is just this incredibly cruel person. I mean, it is in the name Cruella. uh, And she is someone that's going to turn these puppies into coats. And that is a horrific thing, a horrific prospect for any animal lover out there for sure. But you know, for me, it's difficult to come up with any individual scenes. I'm going to punt on this one a little bit. I, there's nothing in this film for me that doesn't, necessarily work because it does have a shorter runtime. It's, it's not like that has a lot of excess in it and um, it gets you in, gets you out. And it is a little bit of a suspense, you know, it's, it's a fun, different type of movie for Disney. I think Brandon, you said it was a modern take. And to me, that all lends to everything we've talked about kind of encapsulating this movie down it does have romantic comedy elements. It's got a new style of animation that seems a little bit more fresh than what we're used to in those uh, Disney classics that are in our mind. And it also has that suspense element with a great villain. I, truly, in my mind, there's there's not a lot there to uh, gripe about. And I think that the things that you all did and the things that you would say that maybe you would want to change or that you didn't like as much I do still agree with all those things as well. I think that they're all very valid points, but for me, it's just a really fun and enjoyable movie all throughout. I really did enjoy this film. And I think it's, it's, it's um, this is a good point to talk about if we have any comments and that we didn't necessarily plan for this. And even in our thread beforehand, I, I said it would only be about the animated film, but if you have any thoughts about the remakes, the parodies, the reboots that this particular property has, and or if you have any thoughts about the upcoming Cruella movie starring Emma Stone, this would be a good point to, to put those in. So let's go to uh, Brett first. Do you have any thoughts on any of the properties that came out of this particular animated film? Worthwhile. Glad they did it. You know, okay. I'm like going, and I can't wait for the next one. So they have their pluses and their minuses, but mainly pluses in my book. And uh, especially 101 Dalmatians, the first one. And I'm really looking forward to Cruella too, because there's, I saw a second trailer today and I'm like going, oh, this is amazing. She's, you know, this is an origin story. And, and they know, you know, that they're dealing with a really rough character, but they're going to make her so fun. I can't wait to see it. So. You know, villains in particular have such a, uh, there's such a love for villains amongst Disney fans. And if your main villain that you are going to do first is Maleficent, it makes a whole lot of sense that Cruella's origin story wouldn't be very far behind that. I'm looking at you, Disney Studios, to give us that Ursula movie that we all really want to see at some point in the future. But Vanessa, your thoughts on any of the other properties that came? I know that you don't want to talk about 100. No, no. Don't say it. We're not talking about it. Don't even mention the number. No, there's nothing, no number greater than 101 on this particular episode. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But yeah, I, uh, I enjoy both the animated film and the live action. I will say with the animated film, there's so much charm with the animals being able to speak and, and they're, you know, their plot, their, the, the storyline for them, that that does get lost in the live action. They do a lot of um, like miming and, and you watch it like, okay, they made the dog do this. The dog is crawling. They put a treat at the end of the tunnel. Okay, that's, that's fun. It is a fun movie, but th- there is some real charm that's lost in it. And what's really funny is they do a lot more shtick of, of physical comedy and physical, like 
characters getting injured. And and Craig, you mentioned, uh, Brandon, you mentioned too, the, the Corella, we don't see what really happens to her at the end. In the live action, man, she gets it rough. She gets like put into molasses and it's just it is almost a little more terrifying if you don't understand what's happening as a kid because she comes out of this like it looks like a tar pit she looks like an I don't like a demon almost but there's a lot more and I'm watching by the way I watch these back to back and I'm like I can't believe they did that to Glenn Close she is is an Oscar nominee why would they do that to her I can't believe did she do that she had to have done these stunts herself because she is covered in just disgusting stuff so the fact that they did that to Glenn Close, I am so sorry. I wish those dogs could have talked so you didn't have to do all that. As far as the the new one, I am really excited about it. I, I like it, like you pointed out, Craig. I I do like Corella, even though she has this unfortunate characteristic of wanting to kill puppies. I don't like that part. But as a character, she's very kooky. She's very fun. She kind of reminds me, um, like if. You go out drinking and you take on an alter ego. It could be, you know, Cruella-esque because she's so fabulous in some ways. So I'm very excited to see this new story. And I don't really understand some of the skepticism about it. It's it's a new story. New stories happen all the time. There's Plus, there's only so many stories that can be told in the world. So if we take a different spin on it, let, let's just let it happen. Let's just see if it's good and if it is that's great and if it's not then we can be bashing it let's just see what happens i think it's going to be great though brandon uh, any thoughts on any of the properties that uh were derived from this animated film i think the live action 101 dalmatians is worth a watch only for glenn close's performance I don't think the movie itself is that strong. You had to get someone very good to play Cruella because like Vanessa, I think without the animals having personalities, I don't think, I don't think the movie is as good. I think that's, that's the meat of the whole thing, but it's one of her best performances. So it's definitely worth a watch. I, I'm very interested to see Cruella. I thought that the, the, I wasn't sure how I felt about it when I was hearing all the press, but the trailer sold me. So I'm, I'm ready to see it. I think it looks I think it looks pretty darn good. I'm a big Emma Stone fan, you know, from all the way back at Easy A, um, which was a great film. And then uh, her turn in La La Land, which won her the Oscar. Really enjoy her as an actress. And I can't wait to see her as Cruella. And of course, like I said, uh, it is on Premier Access in May. And we, of course, will give you that uh, full disclosure probably sometime in early June, I would guess, because May 28th is pretty late in the month. So, but we've got some time before that and just excited that we are going to be able to say, see Cruella uh, sometime in the early summer months, which is going to be really great great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brandon. This has been just a blast. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations on making it to 100 episodes. I'm glad I was a part of some of them. And I'm glad that I didn't cause a rift between you three when I had Brett and Vanessa on a couple months ago. You know, oh, I, no. I wasn't going to bring it up, Brandon, but it's just <laughs> incredible that you try to steal my co-hosts from me, take them over to your classy show where there's things that are organized. And it's not just a people, bunch of people saying, I like it because it's good. <laughs> You know, I I can't believe. <laughs> Ooh! Oh my god! I can't gosh. believe that you would Vanessa, take my think, Why do you think I came? I'm back? like, you know. <laughs> like, well, it's it's okay. You'll be joining me in a couple months, so. You're right. You're right. I will. Uh, and we also, uh, we should mention that a couple of weeks ago, uh, you, me, and Anna sat down and talked about our Friday Night Flicks, which has been a point of contention amongst the BTM crowd because they're not invited to those Friday Night Flicks. So maybe yeah. we shouldn't bring those up either. No, no. I guess we shouldn't. It'd be like bringing up Disneyland in your presence again. What is the ending like of going... this episode where Craig's just Bringing out his laundry list of grievances like, he has. Good like, we, we celebrated 100 episodes yeah. now, and, and now we're, and the family is breaking up and getting all angry. Here's 101 episodes. Hope you enjoy I, it, jerks. Well, I'll say, <laughs> I, blame I will tell you, uh, I think we have yeah, like through Corolla. 105 recorded or so, so we will at least last that long. Um, oh, they're not edited we go, yet. <laughs> We already brought up, uh, we already brought up in the discussion, uh, Dominic's 
thoughts on this film. But I also did want to mention that Jacob, uh, one of our listeners, also posted that this was the first film that he saw in the theaters because they re-released it for the 30th anniversary back in 1991. So this is a film that kind of endures and continues to live on. I know my son really enjoys it. He's watched it several times already. That's what's great about these Disney classics, whether they are just brand new like something like frozen and frozen 2 or they're nearly 100 years old like snow white and the seven dwarves or 60 years old like 101 dalmatians they still endure they still live on these stories are still so timeless in nature brandon speaking of timeless tales can you go ahead and tell our listeners who are just listening to us on our feed how they can hear more of you and front row classics because i will say Um, without anybody else from the network here, it is my favorite show on the network that isn't our own. So can you tell people about Front Row Classics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Front Row Classics, first of all, um, just like Beyond the Mouse, we have our own feed. Just look for us at a Front Row Classics podcast. You can find us on any podcast outlet. Um, But we have social media. You can find us at Front Row Classics Podcast on Facebook, um, FRN Classics Pod on Instagram, and also email us anytime at classicsfrn at gmail.com, and uh, you can request a movie, um, and uh, as long as it was made before 1980, and we'll do it. Um, but uh, yeah, Eric and I have a really, really great time. We just recorded our 68th episode, so we're getting closer to triple digits. Um, we we uh, By the time this releases, you'll have heard our Ben-Hur episode just in time for Easter but in April we've got some really exciting interviews Um, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Arnold who is the author of the TCM Essentials books and uh, he's coming on to discuss his two volumes and why he included the movies he did and just talking all about being a film historian so that's going to be fun and then our friend Patricia Ward-Kelly is joining us again um, at the beginning of April and we're going to be celebrating the 70th anniversary anniversary of an American in Paris with her. That's right. They are getting some classy guests over there at Front Row Classics. And it really is just such a wonderful dive into these classic films, maybe something that you haven't experienced yet. And you've always thought, I've heard about this film. Likely they've covered it in one of those 68 episodes. They don't quite have 101 episodes, but that's okay. Maybe someday they'll get there. You can find us by searching for Beyond the Mouse. Ending. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Good grief. Craig. Craig, hello. You don't want us to have any friends anymore. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm being so snippy with all of you, but I kind of love it. If this is your first show, I'm sorry, but you can continue to find us uh, by subscribing to Beyond the Mouse on any podcast platform that you'd like. We do have a hundred other episodes that you can listen to, things like movie reviews, things like discussions about the Disney theme parks, interviews with a ton of different guests that we really enjoy. So please check it out. Also give us a rating on any of the podcast apps that you choose to listen to us on. You can also find us on social media if you look at Beyond the mouse podcast on facebook also the facebook group if you'd like to interact with us a bit more and you can find that on beyond the mouse podcast pals follow us on instagram beyond the mouse pod also on twitter beyond mouse we are all part including brandon we all in the network are part of npr illinois community voices you can find us there also you can find us uh part of the front row network on all their social media by just searching for the front row network Whew. I'm sorry. This has been kind of a train wreck of an end of the episode, guys. My apologies. But any final thoughts as we leave here? We're going to go to Brett first. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, well, um, I'm glad that we made it to 101. I'm glad that um, we talked about 101 Dalmatians because it's a good film and I liked it. And (laughs) I'm sorry. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say because I can't wait to be on, I can't wait to be on Brandon's show again so I can talk about real movies, you know, and cinema. 
Sorry. Well, if this was an audition, the two of you and your this film is good because it's good commentary, I don't know about any of that. Vanessa, do you have any final thoughts? I I don't know that I'm ever going to be invited back to Brandon's because, like, you know that scene in Pretty Woman where she's at dinner and she's like, which one's the salad fork? That's the fork I knew. That's my feelings at Brandon's (laughs) podcast. I'm like, somebody give me something intelligent to say. So, uh, but Brandon, thank you so much for being on this show. I'm so sorry craig was so mean to you most of the time uh it won't happen again i promise and as a parting gift i got you all puppies there's 101 (laughs) of them take good care of them okay brandon any final thoughts before we close this thing up no no just uh thanks again for having me on it's a fun movie i enjoy talking about classic disney films one of my favorite disney films turns 50 this year so maybe at some point we can get together again and talk about that just a hint but uh yeah no i i i love this movie it's um, one of my favorites we have a great interview coming up in the next week's episode there is a brand new show premiering on disney plus called big shot and we had the opportunity to interview one of the co-stars so we will be uh talking with jesselyn gilsig of big shot next week on the podcast mark it down you'll definitely want to check that out and also check out Big Shot on Disney Plus as it premieres on April 16th, which is the same day the episode will drop as well. So we're excited for that. Then the following week after that, we will see you in Tomorrowland. And we are talking to the Tomorrow Society podcast. I cannot recommend enough that you go and check out that podcast as well. So maybe you listen to a couple of episodes for Tomorrow Society prior to listening to that episode on April 23rd. I think I've done some of the housekeeping. I think we've wrapped this thing up. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. I'm Brett. I'm Brandon. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Woo! We made it. 101. Once you're out of your time out. Oh my gosh. Craig. (laughs) What have you done? My God. Never get on classics now.